very good morning to my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's indeed good to see all of you this morning and also to our friends who have joined us here in person as well as online. A very good morning to you. Uh, it's a beautiful morning. Uh, it's a great morning. Uh, we are so glad to be able to uh, have singing again and to have Justin to lead us in uh, uh, singing praise to God. I think that's so wonderful to be able to hear everyone sing uh, in harmony. Uh, this morning, I'm so glad to have the opportunity to speak once again and I'm chosen to speak on the topic of today. In preparing for this morning's lesson, I actually come across a very interesting song that is titled Why Do Today What You Can Put Off Till Tomorrow? Okay, very interesting title. Uh, if you want to learn, uh, hear this song, uh, it's actually by this guy called Pilar Hausberg. In a nutshell, yes, uh, this album. And one of the songs here is titled Why Do Today What You Can Put Off Till Tomorrow? And according to the lyrics of this, hymn, uh, this song, it goes as follows. It says, once I had a job, a real job, a real job. It was sort of fun for a while, for a while. Then I started to postpone things and avoid things. Days are passing by while I was pretending to be working. So why do today what you can put up till tomorrow? Why save your cash when it's more of it tomorrow? I close my eyes and I see no pain, no sorrow. Why do today what you can do tomorrow. I think this song very well explains the reason why procrastination is so appealing to us. And the reason is because sometimes we don't see pain or sorrow at present. When you procrastinate, you don't feel the pain. The pain is being delayed. But the truth of the matter is that you can't avoid the pain and the sorrow. Eventually, if you put it off today, it will come tomorrow or the future days. And oftentimes when it comes, it comes with greater magnitude, the pain that you have to bear. Uh, part of the lyrics of this uh, song goes, Why save your cash when there is more of it to borrow? And I think this is quite the mentality of a lot of people these days, uh, especially even among the young generation. They rack up a lot of credit card debts and people go into bankruptcy. And the reason why is that so is because when you pay by credit card, uh, the pain of payment is dissociated from the purchase. You buy the thing, you don't feel the need to pay now. Okay? In fact, it's deferred until later. You don't want to pay later, it's still okay. You can still defer even later, just that you pay more interest. But for those of you who have credit cards, you will know that eventually you can't run away from payment. Uh. In fact, the longer you run, the greater the interest. Okay? So the pain and the sorrow will come. And even it comes with greater magnitude because you have to pay interest on top of the principal sum. And sometimes, we also want to avoid activity, uh, you want to avoid exercise. Because when you exercise, it's painful. Uh, you have to go through the suffering, your muscles are being strained, you go through a lot of uh, physical exertion. So sometimes it's more painless to put off exercising. Telling yourself, ah, tomorrow will be a better day. Today the cloud looks gloomy. Today is a good day to be in bed. Uh, we defer the exercise. But what happens is that eventually it leads to chronic diseases. The pain will come and in fact, greater magnitude because now you have to suffer with diseases, with all the ills associated with the lack of exercise. And sometimes, we also defer work as well. And when you want to work, it's painful because you have to put energy into it. You have to brood your brain, your brains to it. Uh, it's very tiring. So sometimes, instead of working, people will defer. Students who are studying for exam, they will say, ah, later then I do my work. Uh, let me play my video games a while. Uh, let me watch my YouTube for a while. Let me watch my series, Korean series for a while. 
Even in work, is it the case that if it's a difficult project, sometimes you say, let me enjoy now. Later then I think about the work. I need to distress. I need to be able to relax to unwind myself. That's the excuse that we give ourselves. And many times, we procrastinate because the pain is dissociated from the, the procrastination itself. And I suspect that today, a lot of people procrastinate about their salvation because they don't find the, they don't see the punishment carried out in this life. They always think that there's always another time to repent. There's another time to change my life. Well, I think if what happened in the first century happened today, uh, a lot of people will probably be more zealous and be more conscious of their salvation. If today you lie to God and like Ananias and Sapphira, straight away you're struck dead, uh, I think a lot of people will be very fearful uh, about lying to God. Okay. Or if discipline is being carried out immediately, then people will be more cautious of it. So we see that today a lot of people procrastinate, thinking that I can avoid the pain and the sorrow. But the truth of the matter is, it cannot be avoided. It's only deferred, and many times you have to pay more than what you try to avoid. And so in this morning's lesson, I'd like to discuss about three things that we are called to do today, so that we do not have to suffer the pain and the sorrow of tomorrow. The first thing I want to talk about that we should do today is what the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. Here the Hebrew writer says, But exhort one another daily, while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So one of the things that we need to do today is to exhort one another. The word exhort means to address, to speak to, and what can be done by the way of exhortation, entreaty, comfort, or instruction. So another word that oftentimes we use to like to use as a synonym to exhort is encourage. To encourage one another. And that's what the Hebrew writer tells us. Encourage each other daily. Give encouragement. Help each other to build each other up. To be able to motivate one another. But you know the problem is that many times we are quick to reprove and to rebuke. But yet we are slow to exhort. We find problems, we find faults with others. But yet we seldom give encouragement. When Paul writes to Timothy as a young preacher, he told Timothy to preach the word be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Today, we are very quick to reprove. Uh, okay? You know, when you preach a sermon, one of the time you don't get much feedback comments. But you can be sure that you say something wrong. Many times after the sermon, people will come up to you, not just one or two, maybe quite a few, will come to tell you, hey, you say something wrong. Uh, you say something that is not correct. People are quick to reprove. Or rebuking. When you do something that is not a job well done, Oftentimes, there's no comment. But when you forget to do something or you do something wrongly, again, the feedback comes quick and fast. But do you realize that Paul tells us, other than reproof and rebuke, we sometimes, Singaporeans, we are very good at us to find the fault with others. Paul also says to exhort as well, to encourage. You know, the problem is that sometimes we are very critical of others. Okay, we are quick to point out the mode is our brother's eye, but we forget the beam that is in our eye. But I think most of us will prefer that when uh, people correct us, we prefer them to encourage us rather than to criticize us. Isn't that so? For the children among us in the midst, okay, would you like your parents to scold you every time you do something wrong? When you do well in your exams, when you do well in your work, uh, uh, nothing. It's taken as for granted. It should be that way. But you do something wrong only, the parents should jump on you. Do you like that? Okay. But for those who are working, 
Do you like it if your bosses, every time when you see your boss, is that they have something bad to say, criticize, to, to, to talk bad about what you have done. Uh, then yet, when you do well, there's no praise, no nothing. Would any of you like that? I think you wouldn't. Uh. Every time if that happens, uh, when you see your boss straight away, you turn the other way. Because you know that something critical is coming your way. So I think a lot of times we prefer people to encourage us rather than to criticize us. And if I think if we feel that way, others probably will feel that way as well. And if we are more encouraging of people, when the time comes for us to be able to, to there's a need for us to uh, correct them or to be able to point out the things that they have done wrong, then I suppose it will be easier to do so. Uh, because the person will know that you are talking in their good interest. Because all the while when they have done well, you are always encouraging. But yet, when you do wrongly, they come to you, you know that it is with good intentions. Okay. So it's very, it's, I think it's better for us to always be encouraging, so that even when the time comes for us to reprove, rebuke, of course there's a place for it. If not, Paul will tell us to reprove and rebuke. Then, there will be more, if people will be more receptive of it, they will be taken in a positive manner, in a positive light as well. And the reason why we need to exhort one another. You know, sometimes we think that exhorting, encouraging others is only for the new Christians. The young converts, uh, we should encourage them. But actually not so. Everybody needs encouragement in life. Everybody goes through burdens. Everybody goes through difficulties. So not only the young and the new converts need encouragement. Older Christians, mature Christians, also need encouragement. In fact, I would argue that more so they will need it. Uh, because young Christians... When they do something, even if they don't do a, a good job, people tend, generally tend to be very encouraging. But for older Christians, many times people will be more critical of them, are more harsh on them. So I will argue that even more so, older Christians might need the encouragement because it comes very sparingly. And the reason why we need to encourage, to exhort one another, the Hebrew writer tells us, is that it will help to prevent unbelief and apostasy. We need to encourage each other with the word of God. Because this will help the people to from falling away. In fact, you will notice that in the Hebrew account, uh, just earlier we talked talk about Hebrew 3 verse 13. But going up a verse earlier, notice the reason why the Hebrew writer encourages Christians to exhort one another. In verse 12 he says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So he says to take heed, to beware. Because if we don't exhort one another, we don't use the word of God to encourage one another, what will be the outcome? Many times, people will lose their faith. People will fall into apostasy because of the lack of God's word. You know, sometimes as mature Christians, we will think that, oh, yeah, I don't need to learn the word of God so much. I already read the Bible before. Why do I have to read it again? Why do I have to attend Bible classes? I've heard the lesson before many times already. I already know what is going to be said. But the thing is that we need exhortation. Because if you are so complacent thinking that I already know the Bible, I already know what it's going to say, I already know what it's going to be taught, I heard it many times before, that's when Satan will take advantage of us. With such complacency, it won't be a surprise if one fine day we lose our faith altogether because we have lost contact with the Word of God. And it's only through the Word of God, hearing the Word of God, encouraging each other with the Word of God, that we grow in our faith. Because the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So no matter Christians how old we are in the faith, we need to hear the word of God. Of course, sermons, Bible classes, these are good sources. But we also can encourage each other 
by sending each other messages with God's word as well. And I think when you look at the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 3, the context that the Hebrew writer tells us to encourage one another is because he talks about the Israelites who have betrayed God, who have gone astray because of the lack of exhortation. In fact, if you look at Hebrews chapter 3 and in verse 9, the Hebrew writer talks about how the Jewish forefathers, the Israelite forefathers, they tempted God, they proved God, and they saw God's works for 40 years. For 40 years, they see God's works, but yet their hearts were hardened because of the lack of exhortation. Remember when Moses received the Ten Commandments from God, the Old Law from God, he was up on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. What happened to Israel? You see that down at the mountain, what did they do? They went into a foster sea. They built a golden calf to say, these are the gods which brought us out of Egypt. Can you imagine, just a few, few months before, God had performed the ten plagues to deliver them. God had parted the Red Sea for them to cross on dry land. God had provided them food, manna, when they were hungry, provided them water from the rock when they were thirsty. All these miracles that they saw. But just in 40 days, they went into idolatry. What was the reason? There was no Moses there, there was no Joshua there to bring to them the word of God. In fact, Aaron the priest that should be teaching the people, he in fact joined them in the same scene as well. He was the one who said, give me your earrings, I will make the golden calf for you. And so you see, no matter how strong a Christian is, no matter how long we have been in the faith, all of us need encouragement from God's word. Without this encouragement, sooner or later, if you have become too complacent, we will fall from the faith. And so brethren, let us heed the exhortation of the Hebrew writer. Let us exhort and encourage one another daily. How so? How can we encourage one another? Well, one thing we can do is to send Bible verses and share. Uh, a lot of us here are teachers and preachers. Share the word of God. I think it's a very good practice that we have at Eastside. Uh, Uncle Tien Seng always sends us reminder about the daily Bible reading. I think it's very good. And I hope that all of us are keeping with it, following the daily Bible reading guide. That's one way for us to come into contact with God's word, or the sharing of the verses. Okay. And I also like uh, when Uncle Danny, uh, he's someone who's very encouraging. Uh, uh, I always notice that when someone is ill, someone requires prayers, Uncle Danny will send a message, and then sometimes you leave a verse there. I think that's very encouraging. Okay. Sometimes you might think, for, my, for me myself, I'm thinking, do I need to send a message of a verse? Uh? I think the brother or sister know very well already. You already know, know the promises of God. But sometimes it could be encouraging to remind. Okay? And I told, I think it's very good practice for us to send verses, to send useful articles. Uh, sometimes Uncle Peter does that. To encourage one another so that we can continue in the faith even in trying times. Secondly, we can also exhort one another by demonstrating concern for others. When our brothers are not feeling well, when they are not here present with us, send them a text to let them know that you are thinking of them, that you are praying for them. Again, I think Isai is a very good culture. Uh, when brethren are sick, I always notice that announcement is being made. They will let brethren know that we are praying for you. Uh, stay strong. Hang on in there. We are keeping you in our thoughts and in our prayers. It can be very encouraging, you know, uh, especially if I go through it myself. When my wife was uh, is still applying for the PR, when brethren ask us, how is it going? Uh, it's very encouraging because it tells me that brethren remember us, they are thinking of us, and they are praying for us. And it brings great comfort to brethren, to Christians, to know that our brothers and sisters are not here just to pay lip service, but they are truly concerned for us to know how we are doing in life and they want to accompany us in the journeys that we go through, the hardships that we go through, they will be there for us. 
And also, thirdly, we can exhort one another by being more appreciative. Okay. Earlier I spoke about sometimes we are more critical of others, but let us be more appreciative. Thank brethren, show appreciation for them. Okay. Again, I think that Isai has done quite well in this area. Uh, many times when we have preachers or teachers teaching God's word, uh, after that you see brethren giving thanks and encouragement to them. Okay. But I think we can also still always improve. There's always room for, for improvement. Okay. Uh, not just thanking the teachers, the preachers, but also thank brethren who work hard behind the scenes. You'll notice that a lot of brethren are working hard in areas that we might not be very visible to us. And sometimes they do not receive much appreciation. So show them the appreciation once in a while. Uh, we have brethren that help to clean the building on the weekdays. Okay. Uh, some of us may not be aware, but the people who keep the building clean, that's why it's always uh, neat and tidy when we come in. Thank them for that. We have brethren that are helping to keep the accounts of the church. A lot of hard work behind the scenes. Uh, doing all the calculations, tax submissions, all this. Thank them for the hard work. And we have brethren helping in the media as well. Uh, the social media postings, the live stream, uh, even the, the singing that's recorded and uploaded on YouTube. Uh, all these are required hours. Uh, I spoke to some of them. understand that they have to uh, listen to every song, every stanza, and then compile them together. A lot of hard work behind the scenes as well. So I think as a congregation, uh, generally we are quite encouraging. But let us find more opportunities to encourage one another. And when there's this culture of encouragement, I think next time when we have problems in the church, we have brethren that need to be disciplined or needs to be corrected, I think you'll be taken in better favour when we are always encouraging. And then when, they, when we talk to them, they know that we are their interest and heart. We are not just there to be critical of them. So the first thing as Christians we need to do is to exhort, to encourage each other today. The Bible says today, which means to do it as often as we can. Whenever you think about brethren, let them know that you are praying for them, you are thinking about them. The second thing the Hebrew writer tells us to do is to harden not our hearts. Okay. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. Okay. Not to, to, in order not to harden our hearts, it means not to become obstinate or to be stubborn. Okay. That we refuse to let God's word go into us. That is what it means by hardening our hearts. And sometimes, Christians, I think we are prone to hardening our hearts. We are prone to fighting for with others, quick to judge others, but not slow to judge ourselves. When a sermon is being preached, sometimes we are quick to apply to others, but yet we seldom try to apply the sermon to ourselves. For instance, give, let's take an example. For example, when the preacher preached about attending the uh, about not forsaking the assembly, we say that's a good sermon. Uh, I attend the service, so I like the sermon very much. It's a necessary message for those who are not attending. Or when the preacher preaches about training up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, uh, that's a good sermon. I do have children, but I think there are brethren whose children need to be taught better. We think about how to apply to others. But when the preacher preaches about giving, well, I actually don't give much. Uh. I'm a stingy giver. While the preacher is very critical, uh, how dare he attack me personally? I take offence to that. You see, when the sermon, we find that it doesn't really apply to us, it's a good sermon. But when it pricks us, it's not a good sermon. The, uh, the, the preacher is being too critical, hypercritical, he's being a hypocrite. Sometimes we have that thought. But Hebrews, the, uh, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, that you are inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judges doest the same things. So a sign of a hardened heart is when instead of applying the Bible to ourselves, we apply to others or we try to find excuses for ourselves. 
That is the surefire sign of a heart that is hardened. So earlier we spoke about how we need to exhort one another. We need to listen to God's exhortation. But even if we listen to God's exhortation, we need to watch out to make sure our heart is not hardened. Our heart is not hardened such that we stay in willful disobedience. We may listen to the message. We might be willing to hear. But have our heart been hardened such that the word doesn't transform us? In fact, instead of transforming us, it hurts us. When a preacher preaches against me, instead of trying to see how I can change my ways, I become angry with the preacher. Well, that is a sign of a hardened heart. And Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16, the Hebrew writer, after telling the brethren not to harden their hearts, he says, for some who when they have heard. So these people hear God's exhortation. But notice what happened when the hearts were hardened. They provoked God. Not all that come out of Egypt by Moses. Of course, this is with reference to the sending of the 12 spies. Two of them did not provoke God because two of them brought back a positive report. Uh, Caleb says, let us go up at once for we shall overcome it. When God says, I will give you the land of Canaan, Joshua sent 12 spies. Only two were faithful and brought back a good report. The other 10 says, we cannot take it. The cities are fortified. The people are like giants. We are like grasshoppers in their side. How can we overcome them? How can we conquer Canaan? Well, again, you consider the amount of miracles that they have seen. The ten plagues, the Red Sea, God providing for them. Would that be such a difficult thing for them to do in order to conquer the land of Canaan? But you see that all these things, even though they saw the miracles of God, their hearts were hardened. Why is that so? Because they have become so used to complaining against God, so used to murmuring against God, that they went from bad to worse. It's like, for example, a child. A child, if you notice that sometimes you rewatch uh, the news, uh, newspapers, they talk about children who beat up parents. Uh, that's very severe. Uh. But how did they get to that? Uh, they get to that instance in the first place. How did they deteriorate to such a state? You can be sure that it's not overnight. Uh. It won't be the previous day they were filial children. After they sleep straight away, they come up, become very angry, and they beat up their parents. Okay. Probably they start by abusing their parents. Okay, uh, scolding them, threatening them. And then gradually escalated up to physical abuse. It doesn't change overnight, but it's a progression. Time over time, their hearts become hardened, such that it becomes a habit to them that when they don't get away, they'll just beat up their parents. And so Christians, we too can be guilty of that when we harden our hearts. Like the Israelites, at first they murmured against God. They rebelled against God. And now they say, we refuse to go up. In fact, they wanted, notice what they wanted to do in, in uh, Numbers chapter 14. They in fact wanted to stone the, the, the faithful uh, people who have faith in God. They wanted to stone them. Can you imagine how hard their hearts were? But it's also because they were hardened through repeated rebellion. And so, they become more and more bold in rebelling against God. And so we need to watch out for the hardening of our hearts so that we will not be willfully disobedient to God. Our hearts can be tender at one point in time. When the sermon preached against our sins, we get pricked by it. But if we do not change over time, we are so used to doing that, and the message just comes in one year and goes out the other year. We become hardened by our sin. In fact, the Bible warns us that the heart can be hardened beyond repentance. It can reach the point of no return, whereby the person is so comfortable that he doesn't really see anything wrong with what he has done, uh, done before. In fact, when we consider some churches who have become liberal, uh, at the start, they might feel uncomfortable with a few of the practices. But they can become so ingrained in them that they don't see anything wrong. 
today some of them say, I don't see anything wrong about baptism. If you don't baptize, it's okay, you are not saved. Uh, I don't see it as an issue that you won't be saved. I don't see a problem with using instruments of music. Why is that so? Because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A small error, it propagates to more errors. Eventually, they become so used to what they see, uh, not respecting the authority of God's word, that now anything goes. And again, the Hebrew writer warns about the hardened heart. The heart that can be hardened beyond the point of repentance. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 to 6, notice what the Hebrew writer says. He says, It is impossible for those who are once enlightened. People who have once heard the word of God receive enlightenment from it. They have tasted of the heavenly gift. They have tasted of the salvation that God has given to them. They will make partakers of the Holy Ghost. Okay. So some of them in the first century, they received the Holy Ghost, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they also tasted the good word of God. They have seen how God's promises come to fulfillment in their life. They have tasted of the powers of the world to come. They had the glimpse of the blessings in heaven by looking at the blessings in the church. Okay. Uh, they have they have a, a foretaste of what is to come. But the Bible says, these people, after they have received all these blessings as a Christian, he says, it is impossible if they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance. Seeing how they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. So these people who have been so hardened in their hearts that they cannot repent anymore. It's not to say that once you are lost, you will always be lost. But the heart can be so hardened that eventually we refuse to accept the truth given in God's word. We refuse, even we are confronted with the truth, we say, that's your interpretation. That's not what the Bible says. We come up with excuses to justify our behavior. And indeed, the heart can reach such a condition. Remember the Pharisees, that whose hearts were so hardened, that even when the miracles were performed by Jesus, what did they say? Oh, you can't, Jesus cast out a demon. I don't believe in the Son of God. I believe that he cast it out by the power of Satan. The heart was so hardened that even a miracle in front of them, they could not accept that as evidence of Jesus' divinity. In fact, they accused him of working for Satan. That's what the hardened heart can do to us, that we use it to excuse our behavior, to excuse our sin. And so, brethren, we have talked about how we need to exhort one another today. We also need to harden not our hearts today. If there are sins in our lives, let us put away the sins and to make the necessary changes. You know, again, I say that humans, we are habits, we are creatures of habit. A lot of times we like to procrastinate. Uh. I know there's some things that need to be changed. I'll say, maybe let me wait for a good time. Uh. Uh, now it's near the, uh, now it's uh, about March already. Maybe I should start in January. I'll wait for January, that'll be a good time for me to change. That'll be my New Year resolution. When January comes, we say, that, uh, yeah, it's still too quick for me to change. Uh. I still got time. Maybe let's wait for my birthday. Uh. Uh, my birthday, that'll be the, when I'm a year older. That will be a right time for me to mature and to change. When your birthday comes, another excuse. Uh, that's the physical birthday. Maybe I should wait for my spiritual birthday. The date of my baptism, that is the day I should change my turn my life around. We give ourselves excuses. But the Hebrew writer says, Today, if you listen to the, the word of God, harden not your hearts. Today should be the day we make changes to our life. And if you have not adopted good spiritual habits, if you have not been studying the Bible, if you have not been praying to God, again, when should we start? Don't need to wait for a good day, don't need to wait for an auspicious day. Today should be the day that we start. If you have not been a good Christian, if you have not been faithful to God, again, make today 
the day of change because we do not know whether another day will come. And instead of being uh, critical of others, and yet we find excuses for ourselves, again, we should hold ourselves to the same standards that we expect of others. If we have a certain expectation of brethren, that we ourselves should live up to the same standards. We need to make the change instead of hardening our hearts. So we have discussed about two things that the Hebrew writer tells us to do today. Today, to exhort one another, to encourage one another. And today, to make changes to our lives, so that our hearts will not be hardened. The third thing I would like to talk about what we should do today is to make this day the day of our salvation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, the Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. But you know, a lot of times people are afraid of the word commitment. Ah, okay? They know that to be a Christian is a great commitment. There's a great cause of discipleship to it. And so many times we like to procrastinate. Okay? We think about, I still have a long runway ahead of me. I will obey the Gospels, but just not now. In fact, it's quite interesting that many would think about the salvation of others, but they are slow to act on their own salvation. I'll give you an example. I remember that when uh, we were still with Dimapin Church of Christ, uh, before we came out and formed Eastside, uh, I come across two children who always come to church. Their parents don't come, but these two kids will always come to church. In fact, my wife is quite fond of them. Uh, they are very uh, obedient, very filial kids. Uh, but there was one time that I encountered the parents uh, in the church camp. Okay, they, they are not Christians, but uh, so they don't seldom come. But uh, that particular church camp that they came. And so I was just chatting with them and said, Hey, your children are really very well behaved. Uh, they always come to church. They are a great encouragement to us. I said that it's a very good thing that you are doing in bringing your children, uh, in letting your children to come to church. Okay. And they responded to say, Oh, yeah, we are very happy also that uh, the, they, are, they, they learn a lot of good values in church. And ultimately, I also want them to be Christian so that they can be saved. And then I asked them further, uh, I think it also would be good if you all also come along and bring your children as well. I think that would be good if your whole family are Christians. But they tell me that, oh, uh, actually we are very busy, we have a lot of things to do. Sunday is the only time that we have free time and to, to catch up with other works and all these things. You see, these parents are so concerned about their children and their salvation, but yet they didn't think about their own salvation, what is necessary for them. And sometimes there are visitors that I study with, and we spoke about doctrinal issues. And they'll tell me, oh, my neighbor, my friend, uh, they believe in this thing. It's wrong. I need to tell them. I need to teach them the truth so that they will know why it's right. I think I should invite them to church. Well, I also tell them, uh, yeah, I think it's good for you to think that. But maybe you should think about obeying the gospel and then you can be able to save them. You see, if today we are in a, drown in a situation whereby we fall into the sea and we are drowning, uh, if you yourself is not safe, how can you save your friend? If you cannot swim, uh, you first better think about how you save yourself rather than try to save others. If not, end up, both of you will lose your life. And that's why Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 verse 16 to take heed to yourself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. There's nothing wrong with wanting to save others. But remember what Paul tells Timothy. He says you want to save others. You want to save those that hear you. What must you do first? Take it to yourself and in the doctrine and to continue in them. So what Paul is telling Timothy is to first make sure you take care of yourself that you are safe. Make sure that you are following the truth and then you are in a position to teach others and to save others. Because if you can't do that, you can't even help yourself. How can we help others? So if there might be people we want to save, we want to bring the gospel to, but first let us make sure that we are in a good standing with God 
make sure that we have a good example to others so that others will see the light of Christ in us and then they'll be interested to know more about the Bible. And so today we speak about the need to hear the exhortation of God's word. The need of not to harden our hearts. But even if we have receptive hearts, uh, our hearts are receptive to the truth, we need to make our salvation sure to prevent us from receiving God's grace in vain. There are people that I know who have receptive hearts. They hear about the truth, they know about what they need to change, they are willing to change their lives. In fact, there are some visitors that I've spoken to, uh, uh, they come very regularly. They, are, they behave even better than Christians. But the thing is that they are afraid of the commitment. They, want those, they are fearful to obey the gospel. But in all aspects of their lives, they are living like a Christian already. They come to church regularly, they change their old habits, they throw away the idols even. But they didn't realize that they are still not saved. They think that as long as I behave like a Christian, I do talk like a Christian, maybe God will treat me as a Christian. But they do forget that there is a need for us to obey God's word, to obey His commandments for us in order to be saved. And so we need to make sure that we follow what God says so that we won't take God's grace in vain. As 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1 tells us, before Paul talks about today is the day of salvation, Paul says, We then as workers together with Him beseech you, we beg you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Indeed, if we know that Christ has died for us, shouldn't we take opportunity of His grace in order to make sure of our salvation? Just like for example, if uh, someone says that, uh, let's uh, give you an example, let's say a, a husband uh, and a wife are being robbed by someone, okay, and the, the, the robber wants to shoot the wife, the husband stands in front of her to take the bullet for her. Okay. But when the husband gives his, give his life for the wife, the wife says, Ayah, my husband died, I don't, I don't see any purpose for living. Let me kill myself also, I want to die together with him. What would you advise the person? Uh? I think you tell her, don't make your husband sacrifice in vain. Uh. Your husband gave his life to save you, and now you want to give up your life for, for his sacrifice for you, that doesn't make sense. Don't waste your husband's sacrifice. Similarly, why waste our Lord's sacrifice? He died for you and me, the cruel death on the cross so that we can be saved. But sometimes we take God's grace in vain. We, we do not obey the gospel, we procrastinate and then we delay. Isn't that making our Lord die for us in vain when we do not accept His saving grace? In fact, the urgency of salvation is such that when we consider the account of the Philippian jeweler in Acts chapter 16, we see that when Paul and Silas talked to them about the gospel and helped them to know about the truth, when did they obey the gospel? They didn't say, let me wait for a good date to obey the gospel. Okay. Or some denomination, maybe they have a certain date for you to put on the waiting list to obey the gospel. They don't do that. We see that the Philippian jeweler were baptized the very same hour of the night. And the Bible tells us it was at midnight. Nah. The salvation was so urgent that they didn't wait a second longer. They were baptized immediately on the spot. That tells us about the urgency of salvation. Make today the day of our salvation. And so brethren and friends, if you have not obeyed the gospel, okay, for our friends that are with us, why not commit to God to follow Christ and to submit to Him in water baptism this day? Some of you may have known the gospel you may already have known the truth. You may already be convicted in your hearts. And maybe you are already living like a Christian, following God already. The only thing left for you to do is to submit to Him in water baptism. But why procrastinate? Sometimes I have heard of people who say that, ah, don't worry about me. It's a matter of time before I obey the gospel. It's a, it's a matter of time. Why not now rather than later? You won't know about the future. You won't know about tomorrow. 
Why not make today the day of your salvation if you are convicted by God's word and you know what you must do? My friends that are with us this morning, I urge you not to delay any further. Make today the day of your salvation. And for us who are Christians who have already obeyed the gospel, let us also make sure of our salvation this day. The Bible tells us that we cannot serve God and mammon in Matthew 6 verse 24. Are we so preoccupied with the pleasures of this life, with the pursuits of life, that we have neglected our salvation? If so, let us now make spiritual pursuits our priority over earthly pursuits. Make today the day of our salvation. And for those of us who are living a good Christian life, who have been good examples, again, make today the day of salvation by bringing the gospel to our family and loved ones. Are there those that you know of that you think that you want to bring the gospel to them? Many times we procrastinate and we say, that, yeah, there's still another time. There's, after this tragic Sunday, maybe I wait for the next preacher. Next Sunday, uh, next, next month after Daniel will be speaking for us. Sometimes we procrastinate. Uh, yeah, I think this topic, uh, maybe they were not interested. Let me find a suitable topic. After the suitable topic, I say, uh, yeah, I think the speaker is not, not suitable. Let me find a suitable preacher that will speak the topic. And then when the preacher comes ready, I think now is not a good time. Let me find a suitable time. We want to wait for the stars to be alive before we bring the gospel. Well, the Hebrew writer and the Paul tells us to make today the day of salvation. If there are people we want to bring to Christ, we don't know how long they will live. Why not make today the day of salvation for them? And so, brethren and friends, this morning we have discussed about three things that we are called to do today. Do not procrastinate. We spoke about how procrastination will bring us greater pain and greater sorrow. Let us do it today rather than do it another day. So we need to exhort one another today. That the reason is because by exhorting one another with God's word, we increase each other's faith. We help each other to stay faithful to God. And today, we also need to harden not our hearts. Because the heart that is hardened, you will get harder, more and more hardened, such that eventually you reach the point of no return. You reach a point where you go beyond the point of repentance. So make today the day of that we will, we, will, we will choose not to harden our hearts. And thirdly, the third thing we need to do today is to make today the day of salvation. Because the Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. In order for us to be saved, I can't just believe in God. I can't just say that I trust in Him. I need to obey His will and submit to Him in water baptism. Someone once said that tomorrow is the excuse of the lazy and refuge of the incompetent. I'll repeat that for you so you can digest it. Huh? Tomorrow is the excuse of the lazy and the refuge of the incompetent. People who are lazy always say tomorrow. Okay? They don't want to do that today, tomorrow I'll do it. Tomorrow I'll do it. Or people who are incompetent, they don't want to pick up the skills they find too difficult. Tomorrow then I learn about it. Tomorrow then I pick up the skills. They find excuses for tomorrow. But brethren, let us live our lives to the fullest from, for God from today onwards so that on our deathbed, there will be no regrets. There will be no regrets about words that we have said, we wish we have said to others. I wish I have encouraged the brethren more. I wish I have made peace with my brethren. Let us not have this kind of regrets. Let us not have regrets also about the changes we wish we have made in our lives. Let us not wish that I, I wish I have not been so hard in my heart. I wish that I have done this, I have done that, I have changed my ways. Let us not live with regrets. Let us not live with the regret of not bringing salvation to the people that we love, the people that we have lost, the people we know that they will never uh, have the hope of heaven just because we procrastinated and we did not bring the gospel to them. There's also another saying that I'd like to share with our friends that are with us this morning. There's this saying that says, those who wait to repent until the 11th hour 
meaning at the last minute. Huh? They usually don't make it until 10.30. So oftentimes, they die at 10.30. They say, I'll wait until 11 o'clock, then I'll repent. But they don't know that they lose their life at 10.30. And in fact, in the Bible, there are some examples of that. Huh? You remember the rich fool? The rich fool says, I have laid up my, my, I have laid up much goods for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He tells himself, I, I'm very well settled. I have a long way ahead. I can relax now. But, Jesus, but God told him, Thou fool, this night, thou soul shall be taken from you. He wanted to wait until further, but there's no tomorrow for him. We also read about Felix. You remember Felix in Acts chapter 24, who was taught the gospel by Paul, whom Paul reasoned to him of righteousness, righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. This man was so fearful that he trembled. Huh? But what did he tell Paul? I'll wait for another season. When I have a convenient season, I will call for you. But you know what? From the Bible, from what we see, the convenient season never came. He never ever came to obey the gospel. And we also read about another governor okay, in Acts chapter 26 of King Agrippa who was almost persuaded to be a Christian. The key word is almost. Uh, the word that Satan liked most. Almost. I almost wanted to read the Bible. I almost wanted to pray to God. I almost wanted to bring people to, the gospel, to hear the gospel. Almost. Actually, almost is the word of failure. Uh. It means that you were so close, but yet you failed. King Agrippa almost became a Christian, but we have no record that he ever did. And so friends, those of you who have done this this morning, we thank you for your desire, your sincere heart, in coming to hear the word of God. But we also like to plead with you to obey the gospel today, so that you have no regret if tomorrow never comes. Life is so uncertain on earth. We don't know when we'll live until. There are people who are perfectly healthy. The next day they exercise, they fall that day. Or they contract a, a small virus like COVID. But today we don't know how our bodies react. Some people succumb to it. They lost their lives. You won't know whether you have tomorrow. But if Jesus decides to come at the next moment, we lost that chance at salvation. It will be our greatest regret on the day of judgment that I heard the sermon, I know what to do, but yet I did not make my salvation sure. That will be the greatest regret that we will ever have. And it will be so sad on the day of judgment for those who thought that they wanted to obey, but yet they fail to do so. And so to the friends and visitors that join us, we urge you, if it's your wish and desire to obey the gospel, please let us know. As we sing the invitation hymns in a moment's time, let the one beside you know that you wish to obey the gospel and we're glad to assist you in this uh, request that you have. And for our friends that have, thought, uh, uh, that have just started joining us for uh, worship and Bible classes, we encourage you to continue to learn more. Perhaps you are here to find out more and you want to know more about the God's Word of God. We encourage you to continue to let us know, uh, to worship with us. Let us know if there's any way we can assist you. If you'd like to have more personal studies, uh, please do get in touch with us. I'll be, be most glad to be able to arrange further studies with you. And so let us now uh, look to Justin to lead us in the theme of invitation and encouragement. And I hope that we'll consider our salvation seriously as we sing this hymn. So why will you linger wandering from the fold of God? Hear you not the invitation, oh prepare to meet thy God. Tell us Oh! 
Judgment.